All right, well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. Uh, I'm very thankful to be here with you guys. Um, yeah, we are excited. We are hopeful and we are full of anticipation to see what the Lord may have in store for us together. Uh, so thank you. You know, in, in times of transition, in times of introduction, it seems like during these times we get a, a strong sense of what our family culture is. I remember when my wife and I were just first dating, uh, I took the long drive from Northern California down to Southern California to Lancaster to meet my wife's, my future wife's parents, my girlfriend at the time. And my wife is just a lot smarter than me and probably a lot kinder than me. So, so she was like prepping me, right? Hey, this is what my mom's like. She's going to ask you a lot of questions. She's going to share a lot of stories. This is what my dad's like. Uh, my, my wife's father is, uh, is a Marine. He was in Vietnam. Uh, he's, a, he's a vet and has done a lot of work in that community. She said, but he's more of like the quiet you know, kind of strong, silent type. And so that was helpful as I met her family because, you know, went up to the door, I was butterflies in the stomach, full of nerves, knocked on the door, and, you know, they, they opened the door, and her mom was so excited and happy and cheerful and talkative, and her dad silently stuck out his hand, shook my hand, and kind of grunted. <laughs> so, you know, we were ushered into the living room and, and sat down, Aaron and I on one couch and my future in-laws on the other couch and my mother-in-law was here and my father-in-law was here kind of right adjacent to me and, and she's chatting it up and, and asking questions and we're having a great conversation and I can just feel my father-in-law's future father-in-law stare on the side of my face but I knew what to expect I knew a little bit about the family culture so as, as unnerving as that was it, it was all right I felt somewhat prepared now I did not have the foresight that my wife had. So when she first spent some time with my family, I said, look, there's going to be a ton of people there. It was around Christmas time. We're just going to hang out. It'll be great. What I forgot to let her know is for my family, one of our traditions during the Advent season is uh, we watch this really spiritual movie. It's called A Christmas Vacation. You may be familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, so, so the deal is Thanksgiving night after the meal, we watch Christmas Vacation. And then after Christmas dinner, we watch Christmas Vacation. And as many times in between as we can squeeze it in, we watch Christmas Vacation. And so if you could imagine a world where there was an Olympic sport of like Christmas Vacation trivia, like my family's gold medal every year, right? So for us, it's like this fun event where, you know, everyone like gathers around and we have the eggnog and, and, and you know, we're staring at the screen. Uh, and for us, it's a lot of fun because we've watched it so many times. We know every single line. And we think it's really cool to like anticipate, right? Like a half beat before the line comes, somebody will shout it out, which is just great. It's full of memories and nostalgia. But it turns out um, if you haven't grown up with this tradition... It's kind of annoying to watch a movie with a room full of people screaming the next line, giving away every single punchline. It's not the same experience. And so my wife was like, wow, that, that would have been a helpful heads up for this family culture to know what I, was walking, what I was walking into. And so Jesus in this passage today is going to give us a heads up of what our family life in him is like. In this passage, we're going to see three gifts that we're given 
as God's family that help to uh, define and identify our family culture, our communal life together? What does it mean to be a part of God's family? What's our family culture like? What are those snapshots that would give a really beautiful glimpse of what our life together will look like? So if you'll turn with me in the book of John, chapter 20, we're going to be starting in verse 19. We see this in John, chapter 20, verse 19. We learn, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So I want you to imagine with me. Imagine with me that you're in the room. If you're a Hamilton fan, this is the room where it happened. You've walked with Jesus for three years. Slowly over time, you've begun to really believe that he is the Messiah, the promised one that the scriptures have foretold for generation after generation. This is the one that they have been waiting for. You walk with Jesus through all of his quirkiness, all of the confusion. What do these sayings mean? What's he doing? What's going on? But there's this underlying current of hope, anticipation. You get to this last week of Jesus' life that John has been unpacking, and you, you see all of these wild things happen. You see even the night before Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Put yourself in that picture, Jesus bending down and washing your feet. What kind of king would do this? You see the hope, the anticipation. Peter making these bold declarations. Lord, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Even if that means death, we're by your side, Jesus. And then the betrayal. And then the arrest. And then the unjust trial, the beatings, the cross on the way to Calvary, the crucifixion, the spear in the side, the abandonment of so many disciples. And then Saturday, the fear begins to creep in. The uncertainty. Did we get it wrong? Is Jesus not who we thought he would be? The silence of that Saturday. And then we come to Sunday morning. And we know how the story ends, so we feel excited, but I wonder what it was like for the disciples on that Sunday morning. That moment when you wake up and it takes your brain a second to adjust to the new reality, did that really happen? Was it a dream? And then the rumors. A few of the women have seen Jesus. Peter and John saying something about seeing Jesus back from the dead. Are they telling the truth? Is it a lie? Is it a mass delusion? What is going on? And the disciples were all together in the room, locked. It's nighttime. Darkness has fallen. We see this throughout John's gospel. Nicodemus comes and speaks to Jesus at night. The betrayal, the arrest happens at night. Night is a time of fear, and our text tells us that the disciples were afraid of the Jewish leaders, rightfully so. The Jewish leaders had Jesus arrested. There's a fear from external threat. 
By implication, there's a fear of the empire. The Romans were the one who had Jesus killed, so there was a fear for their own lives. But John gives us a little glimpse when he talks about Jesus showing his wounds to them. And I can't help but wonder if there was a fear of exposure. A a memory coming to their mind of all the promises they made. Jesus will never leave you, will never abandon you. Jesus will never forsake you. And in his hour of need, they could not stay awake to pray. I wonder what that felt like. If it was similar to that feeling when you were in school and you got the bad progress report mailed home and you're just dreading the walk to the mailbox knowing that your parents are about to find out that D minus in chemistry that you got. My parents are watching the live stream, so this is like real. (laughs) I wonder if it was that feeling when Jesus showed up. I wonder if it was just the messy mix of emotions that we all feel so often. The fear of the outside, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the dark, the fear of our own failures, the fear of our past, the fear of our brokenness, the acknowledgement that things are not the way they ought to be. I wonder what that fear felt like in that room on that night. And we see Jesus. And he steps in. He steps in through the darkness. He steps in through the locked door. He steps in through the fears. He shows the wounds that the disciples missed because they were not present. I wonder what that moment was like as they saw his lips about to form words, about to speak. What would Jesus say? Would he be angry? Would he speak shame over them? Would he call them out for their sin? Would he come with his wrath and his conviction, which is rightfully deserved? But Jesus gives us a gift. He speaks peace. Peace be with you in the midst of the fear. Peace be with you in the midst of our darkness. Peace be with you. In the midst of our rightful judgment and condemnation, Jesus comes and stands in front of you and speaks peace. You see, the first gift that defines our family's culture is the gift of the peace of the Son. He offered peace then. He still offers peace today. He has offered forgiveness and acceptance and love and grace for all those who have come to him. But here is the catch You see, in our family, if we're not broken, we're not actually in the family. We cannot come to Jesus through our strength. If you're here perfect today, we're really, really sorry, but chances are you're not a part of the family. But if you're here and you have those locked doors, if you're here and you know what it's like to be terrified of the dark, If you're here and you have that thing from the past that you know you would just crumble and shrivel up and die if people found out, this family is for you. This is a family of forgiveness. This is a family where Jesus still steps into the darkness, breaks through the locked door, looks us in our eyes and says, peace be with you. This is the family Jesus invites us to. And it's not just peace from what happened in the past. 
It, it took me a while in my Christian faith, right? Like, you know, we had the big come to Jesus, you know, sermon in my youth group and said the prayer and raised my hand and did the walk up to the front and, and that whole deal. And there was all this emphasis on whatever you've done in the past, Jesus has forgiven you and that's good and true and right. But as I walked with Jesus for a while, I began to realize Jesus just hasn't forgiven me from what happened in the past. Jesus is still forgiving me. And even better than that, Jesus will forgive me for sins I have not yet committed. They're not a surprise to him. Jesus takes our brokenness and speaks peace into it. And I wonder even now, is there a memory? Is there an issue? Is there an area that the Spirit is stirring up where Jesus is beginning to enter in? Jesus is beginning to press into those areas of brokenness even now, and I wonder if he isn't in this moment still speaking peace over you. Peace be with you. This is who we are as God's people. We are not a perfect people. We are a repentant people. We are a people who confess our sins to one another, who confess our sins to God. And he still speaks peace to this day. So the first gift we see is we receive the peace of the Son. And what began so long ago behind locked doors in darkness and fear today, we are still participating in this global revolution of God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. So let's look at the next gift that Jesus gives us here. We're going to pick up in verse 21, chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we receive the peace of the Son, and then he gives us the mission of the Father. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. Another defining characteristic of our family culture is we are a missional people. From the beginning in Genesis 12, this covenant with Abraham where God says, I will bless you and your family so that all families will be blessed, God is forming the missional identity of his people. We are called to live for others. We are called to embody what God is like so that those who don't yet know him will come to know him. Through our words, what we proclaim, what we speak, through our actions, how we embody the gospel in our everyday lives, this is the missional identity of God's people that we see from the beginning in Genesis all the way through consummation in Revelation. Front to back, the Bible is the story, the true story of the whole world that gives shape and meaning to all of life. And we find our place in that story with a call. We are a sent people. We are blessed so that we can bless others. In Exodus 19, as we see God has liberated his people from the oppression of Egypt, he's brought them out into the wanderings in the wilderness, and right before he gives his commandments, he gives them this beautiful image. In Exodus 19, God calls his people um, his, his treasured possession, his royal priesthood, and his holy nation. We have these images of God's care, God's love for his people, his treasured possession. He finds value in his family. This royal priesthood, given this task of mediating God's blessings to the people, with this conduit of God's blessing to bless others. 
and a holy nation. Not holy in, in the fact that it's sinless and it's perfect and it never makes a mistake and never gets its hands dirty, but holy in the sense of set aside for a specific purpose. Like the china in the cabinet that you only use once or twice a year. There's a specific purpose that God has given his people. Thankfully, it's not the awkward dishes that we have to hand wash and it's like more of a pain than actually like beneficial. But our purpose as God's people is that we are to display what he is like in the times and places that he has sent us. I like to, I don't know if you guys have this yet in California, but in Arizona, where we're from, in Costco, we have samples again. Do you guys have samples in California yet? No? I'm sorry. That's like the best, like, Saturday afternoon, right? Like, half a meal for the kids, just Costco samples. What's awesome about Costco samples is you get a little taste that hopefully is so good, you're convinced to buy five gallons of this thing. That's what we're called to be like. We give a little taste of what Jesus is like. So hopefully people will buy five gallons. It's like the movie, tra the good movie trailer. Not the movie trailer that gives away like the funniest three parts of the movie, but like the really intriguing movie trailer that just raises the eager anticipation like I cannot wait, opening day, I'm gonna be in line for this movie when we used to line up to actually go to movies in person. Right? We're called to be this preview, this movie trailer community that shows what the coming kingdom will be like so that those who are not yet in God's family will sign up for this. When my wife and I flew out here uh, last month and, and got to meet with some of you and, and got to know some of you, it was a great time. One of the things that we realized is, is that grace, you guys are this community. You know what you care about. You love it, you talk about it, the passion comes through clearly. Yes, I am referring to Ted Lasso. <laughs> Grace, you have convinced us to start Ted Lasso and I have to confess, we're like halfway through season two. We are all in, we are binge watching this show. That is what God's people are supposed to do. <laughs> God's people are called to live in a way that is compelling so that those who haven't yet watched the show go home and binge watch. We're called to talk about Jesus with the same fervor that you all spoke to us about Ted Lasso, and it worked. This is God's plan. This is God's call on his people. This is part of our family culture. And so often when we hear these sermons and we, we think along these lines, we always think about what's next. Where are we being sent to? What's the next chapter? What's the next step? What's the thing that's different from where I am now? And I just can't help but wonder, what if we were just faithful with where we were sent already? Asking ourselves hard questions like, do we know all of our neighbors' names? On the sides and across the street and diagonal. What are coworkers come to us in their time of crisis? Would we be seen as those people who are living life differently? Those people whose lives have been formed by this family culture of, of God's people, that it's attractive, it's compelling, it invites us in. I wonder if we were faithfully stewarding where God has already called us, what that would look like. What relationships would be popping up? What new people would be invited in? 
How would our workplaces be different, our neighborhoods, our carpools, our kids' soccer teams? I wonder if God isn't calling us to look up, but to look down where he's already called us. How can we continue to be even more faithful than we've already been? And at this point in the sermon, if you're like me, you start kind of thinking through the logic of this. This is a horrible idea. Right? Jesus takes broken people who always fail and need his forgiveness and repentance and gives them the task of partnering with God on mission for the reconciliation of all things. It kind of feels like Jesus is setting us up for failure, right? Okay, I'm the only one. Fine. <laughs> it seems like the scope of the job is too big. It feels daunting to me thinking through how I steward my words, my actions, my behaviors, my attitudes, because there is a watching world who is looking to me to demonstrate who God is and embody what his coming kingdom is like. If we don't feel the weight of that, I think we need to read a little bit more. This is a big call that God has given us. Is he just setting us up for failure? Well, thankfully, the passage doesn't end here. In verse... 22, we see Jesus say this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So not only do we receive the peace of the Son, not only do we receive the mission of the Father, no, we also receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, clearly, this is before COVID guidelines when Jesus is breathing on people. Apparently, that was allowed back then. Uh, but I was curious, like, why didn't Jesus, like, why wasn't it a high five or a hug or an elbow or a fist bump? Like, why would Jesus breathe on his disciples? That feels a little creepy. But it makes us remember. It, it recalls our attention back to the beginning, to the garden. When God was forming humanity, we have this beautiful, beautiful picture of God almost stooping down on his hands and knees and, and forming Adam out of the dust of the earth. I have images of my kids at the table with Play-Doh. God crafting his design with care and intention. Understanding the nuances of this humanity that he was creating. Almost God with dirt under his fingernails, getting his hands dirty in the stuff of, he, of creation that he just spoke into existence. And then this beautiful image of God leaning in close, breathing life into Adam. It's almost the intimacy of mouth-to-mouth of -mouth resuscitation or, or, or even a kiss, a divine kiss of creation. Jesus is re-dramatizing this image. He is recreating a new humanity, one that is founded in him. And just as God did in the garden with Adam, so Jesus breathes life into these new people. He breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not setting us up for failure because we are not going alone. I remember my oldest son's Third Halloween, uh, my youngest was just a baby, so we, we got him like a little owl costume because he just kind of laid there, right? He was in the stroller. Uh, but my oldest was really, really into cars. You guys, you guys remember when you were into cars? Some of you kids here? Lightning McQueen, 
he had the Lightning McQueen outfit, and he was ready for trick-or-treating. And that was like the first year he really got what was going on. So we were excited. We are going to take him out trick-or-treating. And um, in our neighborhood back then, there were some people that were like really, really into Halloween. Like, you know the people that are really into Disney, like the grown-ups who go there on vacation? Sorry if that's you. But they're like really, really into Halloween and, and like decorated the yard, which is cool, but then like got like a, rented a U-Haul truck, like the giant one, and, and actually paid friends to like dress up in like Freddy Krueger costumes and Michael Myers, like all the classic kind of horror villains. And they would like jump out and scare kids. Like it was scary for adults, but our neighborhood really, really got into Halloween. And so we go out, we're taking the boys trick-or-treating, and we get up to the first house, and, and my son is just excited, he wants the candy, but then he starts seeing, like, all of the stuff, right? Like, all of the, the fake spider webs and the decorations, and it's, it's scary. Like, we're steering clear of the crazy Halloween house, but, like, our neighborhood, it's still, it's still scary. And so I'm like, dude, you got to go, like, knock on the door, and then they're going to give you candy. And so he, like, looks at the door and looks at the decorations and looks at me, He's like, no, not doing this. Come on, dad, give me a break. So I'm like, no, but it's, it's going to be okay. We're right here. Like, they're friendly. They're expecting people. Like, it's okay. You know, I'm like rationalizing with a three-year-old because that's always really successful. And um, I'm like, dude, just knock on the door. You're going to be all right. So he looks at the door and he looks at the decorations and he looks at me and he's like, we can go home. I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. So I kneel down. And I'm like, hey, bud, what would help? And he reaches out and grabs my hand. Brilliant. So I stand up and we start walking towards the door. And parents, you know what happens in this moment. Body language changes. Shoulders are back, chin is up. He's got dad's hand. What's a jack-o'-lantern gonna do? He's like walking by like, ah, I'm not scared of you anymore. And he gets the candy and everything's great. And we go to the next house and I'm like, dude, go get the candy. And he's like, Is that not us? Is that not who we are? We understand the brokenness that we all carry. We understand the life that God has called us to live together. And we know we can't do it. But when we reach up and we take hold of our Father's hand, or rather he takes hold of our hand, we can go. We can be who he calls us to be. We can do the things he has prepared in advance for us to do, according to Ephesians chapter 2. We can be God's people because the Father is with us. What can man do to us? Yes, the world is scary. There's scary decorations out there. But when Jesus is walking next to us, he empowers us. He gives us the gift of his spirit, which is powerful which compels us to go out and be God's people, be who he has created us to be. We not only receive the peace of the Son, we receive the mission of the Father, but we receive the power of the Spirit who is with us, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who equips us and empowers us to embody the good works that he has prepared in advance for us so that we can be faithful so that we can make an impact in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in Long Beach in general. We do not go alone. We don't have to make the long walk up to the door by ourselves. We get to go with the Father. 
We get to carry with us the peace of the Son. And we have the power of the Spirit. And church, this is good news. This is good news. This is hopeful news to all of the the people and the places that God has called you to. To all of those destinations that you don't yet know where God will give you the words that you need. Bring the images to mind as you creatively communicate the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus. This is good news for our family. Because our family knows how the story ends. We know that there is a day that is coming when Jesus will reunite the kingdom with his broken world and all things will be fully restored. All things will be reconciled. I love the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Every sad thing will come untrue. This is the day that we're longing for. This is the day that we're called to faithfully embody together as God's people. Church, will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your peace. Father, we thank you that you invite us to participate with you in mission. Spirit, we're so thankful for your presence. Would you continue to fill us as you have? Would you continue to be gentle with us in our areas of brokenness and darkness? Would you continue to invite us to receive your peace? Father, give us new eyes to see the many things that you have in store for us. Help us to be faithful with the blessings you have given us so that we can use those to bless others. Help us to be attentive to your spirit, to your voice and prompting and guidance and conviction and encouragement and love. Would you bless us so that not only we would be changed, our family and friends and our communities and neighborhoods and workplaces and our city as a whole would be changed so that we would be a more accurate reflection of who you are. We pray all these things in your name and for your glory, Jesus. Amen.